This week's message, given by Pastor Stephen Newman at the Succasunna United Methodist Church, April 18, 2021. The message is, Love Has Already Won Part 3, based on 1 John 3, 1-7, and Luke 24, 36-48. Let us pray. A loving, gracious God, you led the people of Israelite through the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. We ask for your guidance and wisdom as we live our everyday lives. Teach us your way of salvation, your way of wisdom, and your way of truth so we could continue to follow your Son, Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and open our hearts and minds as we listen to the words of Scripture. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A Sunday school teacher was giving children Easter Sunday lesson. The topic for the day was the resurrection of Christ. What did Jesus do on Easter? Asked the teacher. There was no response. So he gave his student a hint. He starts with the words R-E. And one boy blurted. Recycle. Of course, Easter is not about recycling, but resurrection. So friends, let's think about this connection made by the Sunday school child. You know, sometimes our children helps us, help us to see things from a fresh perspective. The connection between Easter and recycling is an unusual but interesting and worth reflecting on. You know, resurrection means to be restored to life. What about recycling? The recycling is the process of collecting and processing things that would otherwise be thrown away, but turning them, in, turning them into a useful product. In a sense, recycling gives new life to the lifeless, new purpose to the useless. The process of recycling has a transforming and life-giving quality. Interestingly, the life-changing, life-giving power of God was experienced and witnessed by so many people of faith in the Bible and throughout the Christian history. God called the weak, the lithe, the foolish, the lowly, the broken, and did great things in and through them. Think of Moses, think of Mary, think of Paul. As testified by a great cloud of witnesses, it is not true that God only calls the qualified 
Rather, our God is the God who qualifies the cold. God calls them, give their lives new meaning and purpose, helps them to see and rediscover their beauty and value before the eyes of God. Our God is God of recycling. Of course, it doesn't mean that God treats us as an object or by our instrumental values. Perhaps that's a big difference between us and objects. However, thinking of resurrection in terms of recycling helps us to understand what it means to fully live in the power of resurrection and how we experience the newness of life as resurrection people, especially in our relationships to the environment, to God's creation. And this is the area that many theologians have paid attention to in recent years due to increasing environmental crisis and concerns. What they suggest is three, three R's. Reduce, reuse, and recycle. Can you remember that? Reduce, reuse, and recycle. And today is the Earth Sunday, by the way. And as we celebrate this, this day, it is worth noting that these three R's help us to sustain God-given resources on Earth and restore the perfect balance and the beauty of the Earth. In Christ, we were restored to life. We are given the life abundant. And to receive this gift means to put away our former life. It means to put down our old self. It means we're given a new self in the power of the risen Christ. It means we are a new creation in the Spirit. If Easter is true to us, if we truly affirm that God's love in Christ has already won, what difference does it make to us? What difference does it make to our lives? We talked about this matter for the last two Sundays, starting Easter Sunday. Two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, we talked about how love has won death and grief. How the love of God in Christ reaches us in the days of Friday, the times of pain, grief, suffering. Last week, we talked about how love has won uncertainty, doubt, disbelief. How the love of God in Christ reaches us in the days of Saturday, moving us from confusion to community and commission. And today, I would like us to think about how the love of God has already won in its battle with sin and evil. What the triumph of God, of Christ, over sin and evil means in the everyday lives of Christians, as well as in our world of brokenness. This morning we read 1 John. Sam read the letter, the pastoral letter written by the Apostle John. He wrote this letter perhaps 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Perhaps he was the only surviving apostle, I mean apostle, at the time. As one of the apostles, he was an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection. The primary audience of his letter was the new generation of Christians. You know, it's always a blessing to spend time with an old saint, someone who has known the Lord and walked with him for a long time. In a sense, John was a mentor for the second, third generations of Christian believers who had not seen or met physical Jesus. However, they are going through a the period of great persecution, they were wrestling with declining commitment, false teachings based on cultural ideas and philosophy at the time. What John does them, what John does in this letter is to remind that Christian discipleship is a journey to walk in light and grow in love. Let me say that again. The Christian discipleship is a journey to walk in the light, and to grow in love. These are the two main themes, two key words in the letter, light and love. In verse John, verse chapter 1, verse 6, John says, If we say that we have fellowship with God while we are walking in darkness, we lie and don't do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have a fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does it mean to walk in darkness according to 1 John? He explains this in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 11, saying, But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. And walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going. Because darkness has blinded them. In this letter John wants to help and encourage the Christians to stay on course. In their journey of light and love. Of course John is not naive about the dark ugly reality of sin and evil that the first century followers of Christ had to face. And he shares with the early Christians some fundamental practical tips and guidelines for the journey. Now ultimately this journey is a process to grow in love. And we know this journey involves growing in love through the days of Friday, through the days of Saturday, through the days of Easter the moments of victory and joy, the moments of pain and suffering, the moments of confusion and doubt. We all grow throughout those moments. This journey will begin with God's love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it is written, See what great love the Father has ravished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. God calls us the children of God. And that's only the beginning. We know that. Again, it's a journey. It's a journey to grow in love. Grow in the awareness of God's love and grow in the capacity of loving God and others. 
The love of God that restored Jesus to life from the tomb leads us and encourages us to confront the sin and evil, the hardness within our heart as well as in our world. We don't know how we will end up. As John writes in verse 2, what we will be has not yet been made known, but because of the reason Christ, we know that when Christ comes again, we will become like Him, pure, but free of sins. Let's face the reality. In our contemporary American culture, it's not popular to talk about sin. Yes, people have bad memories of the misuse of the term. Their families and congregations, the damage caused by its distortion of God as being punitive, judgmental all the time. We cannot deny the history in which those with religious political power took advantage of the term. to control people. Even for lifelong Christians in today's world, it can be disconcerting or depressing to hear about sin because it reminds us of our own failure, defect, vulnerability. It also reminds us of our own pain, suffering at the hands of those we love and whom we thought loved us. For this reason, talking about sin open brings in emotional, spiritual ache. In the past, overemphasis, distortion was a problem. What is at stake now is complete dismissal or neglect of sin in the landscape of many Christians' life. Even though sin may not be part of our everyday, everyday vocabulary, it is a significant vocabulary in Christian faith and tradition. It is something that we cannot think of in separation from the reality of our everyday life. We see the news, the mass shooting, the violence, abuse by own family members, by the clergy, the people trust. It is something we cannot completely dismiss in our Christian journey and pretend as though we have nothing to do with it. Yes, it might not be an uplifting message to hear, but sometimes it may be the message that God wants us to hear and take seriously. In verse 6, John makes it clear that no one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Very strong and bold statement. But be attentive to the word, keeps on or continues. It's about a habit, way of life, routine. You know there is a difference between committing a sin and continuing to sin. Even the most faithful Christians sometimes commit sins, but those who de live deeply in Christ wouldn't continually choose to commit sins, especially if it's the same sin. In this letter, John reminds us that Christians, as the children of God, will be characterized by those who stop sinning 
repenting and continuing the journey to grow in love. And this is how we discover that the love of God has won sin and evil and continues to win. Of course, we may be losing the battle sometimes. Many times it doesn't begin with a big thing, a big temptation. It happens more sub subtly. Political theorist, philosopher Anna, Hannah Arendt saw the war crime trials of Adolf Eichmann, who was the Nazi operative responsible for organizing the transportations of millions of Jews and others to various concentration camps in support of Nazi brutality. And Hannah Arendt found Eichmann an ordinary individual. He didn't seem like an amoral monster, a villain, serial killer appearing in the movies. He actually did such atrocities without any motive other than to diligently advance his career in the Nazi regime. In her own words, he was the terrifying normal. Although Ahimen may have performed evil deeds without purely evil intentions, he never realized what he was doing due to an inability to think from the standpoint of others. And she asked, can one do evil without being evil? This was the puzzling question that she grappled with in her book, Ahimen in Jerusalem, a report on the banality of evil. You know, this shows us how sin and evil comes to us. It comes in subtle ways. We're living in a world where it's not a problem to compromise, make concessions. It's not really difficult to drift. It's not really hard to go with the flow and cross the line. Carrie Newoff, former lawyer, ministry coach, and pastor in Canada, recently wrote a book. The title of the book is Didn't See It Coming, and the subtitle of the book is very interesting. Overcoming the greatest, seven greatest challenges that no one expects and everyone experiences. In this book, he points out some warning signs that we are losing the battle. Some tilt telltale signs we are drifting as Christians. As I mentioned those five signs, I invite you to reflect on yourself today. First, there is a growing gap between your public life and private life. Whether it is about the disconnect between your words and actions, or disconnect between who you are and who you want to be, it's easy to spot such discrepancy and the disconnect in others. It is much harder to spot in ourselves. But the Spirit of God helps us to recognize those gaps in, within us and to help us to fill in those gaps through the power of Christ's resurrection. But first... You should recognize it. You should recognize those gaps in your heart, in your life. According to Carrie, the second sign that you are losing the battle is that you hiding things. 
as the gap grows between your real self and the projection of your false self, you will not want anyone to discover truth about you. It leads to cover up. Third sign that you are drifting, you're losing the battle, is that you justify your bad actions and decisions. We know there are many ways to do it. Well, everyone does it. Who cares what I do? Oh, it's for the good. There are many re reasons, justifications we can make. However, when you start justifying your sins, bad actions, you begin to believe your condition is inevitable. You shift blame to others and circumstances beyond your control. You actually convince yourself that if others were in your shoes, they would do just as you do. Lastly, the sign that you're losing your battle is that your life has become all about you. Think about this. When you continually choose to commit sins, what you end up doing eventually is to craft a life that is almost entirely self-centered. And that's the opposite of who you, who you know you are called to be. In his letter, John reminds early Christians of their identity and their destiny as the children of God. Again, it's about the journey to grow in love. And as we continue this journey, God encourages us to confront evil, hardness, sin within on our, within on our heart as well as in our world. Yes, the brokenness is part of our humanity. But what defines us is not the brokenness, but the love of God that has been ravished upon us in Christ. And this love reminds us that love is more than simply saying nice things or doing favors for others. Most fundamentally, love is about revealing to them their beauty, their intrinsic value before the eyes of God. And that's what God did through Christ. One Christian who worked with people with disability for many years wrote a memoir. And he said, quote, as I worked with them, I began to see the hardness of my heart. They were crying out simply for friendship. I didn't quite know how to respond because of the other forces within me, pulling me to go up the ladder. They have been teaching me that behind the need for me to win, there are my own fears and anguish. The fear of being devalued and pushed aside, the fear of opening up my heart and of being vulnerable, feeling helpless in front of others in pain. As we faithfully follow Christ in this journey, we come to discover something which I had never confronted before, that there were immense forces of darkness and hatred within my own heart. And he says, to love someone is not first of all to do things for them, but to reveal to them their beauty and value. To say to them through our attitude, you are beautiful. You are important. I trust you, and you can trust yourself. 
Friends, in this journey to grow in love, God encourages us to confront evil and hardness within our own hearts. And I hope and pray that God teaches us the same powerful truth as we seek to love others, especially those who are different from us, those who have opposing views than us, and those who need to hear the gospel that they, they, they too are the children of God. One theologian said that one reason why people find it difficult to believe in Easter, to have faith that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, is because if the resurrection is true, then their lives would have to change. It is because it would mean that they would be living in a whole new world. They have to change how they see themselves and see others. They have to adjust their lives accordingly. Roman Emperor Hadrian in the 2nd century sent envoy named Aristides to scope out the Christians and write a report on what sort of people they were. Because they, he heard that the Christians ate flesh and drank blood. Upon returning, Aristides reported, these Christians are certainly different kind of people. When someone comes to them hungry, they share what they have. If they don't have enough, they fast so as to have enough, so they have enough for all. When someone is without money or home, they take them in, treat them like family, including orphans and widows. In fact, they treat our own people better than we do ourselves, caring for the sick, burying the dead. In this report, he concluded, saying, the Christians are new kind of people. There is something divine about them. Well, what is it that is divine? I believe it's the seed of God planted in our hearts through Christ, the love. The fractures in our lives and our world suggest a problem at the very foundation of the world we call home. We can see named the ways the world around us is broken. We cry out against violence, atrocities, racial injustices. We ache for a community who is forcibly dismissed. We long for divisions and conflicts to somehow be reconciled. Friends, I believe this is the way the love of God has already won and will win in its battle with sin, evil, and brokenness. The good news is that Jesus himself is the goal and the gift for us. Jesus is not only the shape of God's past love toward us through the incarnation, cross, and resurrection. Jesus is also the shape of God's final gracious gift to shape our lives and grow 
in God's perfect love. May you continue to discover how love of God in Christ has already won in your everyday lives, in all you say and do in the name of our God. Amen.